Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Hello, Allah, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. And me, Wa'ala Sayo. Today, we are taking a look at anxiety and particularly what happens when motherhood and anxiety collide. Motherhood is expected to be a joyful time in a woman's life, but it becomes debilitating with the emotional roller coaster of anxiety. Dr. Salihah Afridi, clinical psychologist and managing director of the Lighthouse Arabia, is back once again to give us more insight into the condition. Plus, we welcome Darina Savaj, a mum of three boys, to share her story. Join in the conversation on Life Beats on Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Research shows that women are already more likely than men to suffer from anxiety disorders. Motherhood comes with its own unpredictable roller coaster of emotions, but when anxiety is added into the mix, it can heighten an already pre existing disorder. So, although you can't see it on a parent's face, it's a very real thing, but it's almost never talked about. So today we're taking a new look at anxiety, what it means for mums and how it can impact their relationships with their kids and loved ones. It is great to have back in the studio, Dr. Salihah Afridi, clinical director, uh, managing director, in fact, clinical psychologist and managing director of the Lighthouse Arabia. And we're joined for the first time as well by Darina Sarraj, a mum of three boys. Welcome to you both to Life Beats. Thank you for having us. So good to have you. Now, Dr. Salihat, let's start with you. This is something that you deal with in your practice every single day, all the time. And from what you're telling me, we're seeing more and more anxiety coming up. Let's kind of define what that is and what that means, first of all. So I think it's really important that we define it. This is not us feeling worried or concerned because it's okay to be worried. It's okay to be concerned. It's okay to even have a, a, a certain level of anxiety. But to say clinical anxiety, it is a clinical issue and it has a certain set of criteria that a person needs to meet for six months in order for us to diagnose the disorder. Now, there's adjustment disorder with anxiety, anxiety, and then there's clinical anxiety, which includes things like generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and phobias. And so this set of criteria um, needs to be met for six months at least, and it needs to have um, symptoms that are physical. So, you know, things like dry mouth and heart racing, um, mind racing, heart palpitations, uh, you not being able to think clearly. All of these types of symptoms have to be, and there's a whole list of them. Um, I don't want to go through the whole list, Mm. but these are, you need to have at least four of these kinds of symptoms um, for at least six months, for most days than not. And it should be impacting your life in a way that is clinically significant. So what does that look like? So this could look like for someone who is a new mother where their, you know, chest pains or their heart racing or their thoughts racing is making them unable to attach to their child. It's making them unable to go through their day to day 
um, you know, taking care of their children or maybe getting in the car and picking up the other kids. Um, so it needs to impact their life in some way that's clinically significant in order for us to give a diagnosis. I think we use these terms too colloquially mm. these days. We say, oh my God, I'm so anxious. Mm. And that's not anxiety. You're just concerned, you're worried, but that is not clinical anxiety. That is a cl clinical issue. It's a serious one. And it is a common one, I would say. I think they're saying one out of five people now is struggling with some sort of anxiety disorder. I would say that it's probably one out of four, one out of three in the UAE simply because there's so much change that we are exposed to in this country. Um, people moving, husbands moving, house moving, schools moving, you know, there's just a lot of change and l lack of predictability and especially now more so um, with its, what's happening in the, um, in the, in these, you know, with the coronavirus and other things. So um, yeah, anxious times we live in. But like I said, it's a clinical issue. Do not try to diagnose this thing to yourself. Go get professional help and actually get it diagnosed clinically. Because that's the thing, you know, we are opening up the conversation more and more around mental health. So it's easy for people to pick up these terms and to just kind of, you know, apply them here and there. But like you said, just like with uh, any other condition, physical condition, you would go to a doctor to be yes. diagnosed. And the same goes for mental health conditions as well. Very important. So let's talk a little bit about how, okay, for someone who is already suffering from anxiety, how does bringing motherhood into the mix impact all of that? So you want to feel out of control of your life, you you become a mother, I yes. think. Well, completely. <laughs> you, know, you have your um, someone that you love deeply and dearly who cannot take care of themselves. You are fully responsible for that child. So talk it's about terrifying. feeling out of, out of control. Yeah, and now I am supposed to make sure that he stays alive and he is well and that he, you know, he grows up to be a good human being and contributes to society and has good mental health and good physical health. Like that's just a lot of pressure. And if you start really thinking through that, mm. I, I really think that there's just no, I mean, I think being anxious just comes with motherhood. Mm. Now, clinical anxiety and motherhood is something different. I think you, if you are just a really chilled out mother, then you probably haven't th thought this through. <laughs> I think just if you live in today's world, especially, and if you live in the UAE away from your system, mm -hmm. I think there's just no way that you cannot feel anxious. But clinical anxiety, like I said, is very different. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Darin, we'd, we'd love to bring you in on the yeah. conversation. Um, I, I can see you nodding, you know, as uh, Dr. Yeah. Saleh has yes. speaks. Uh, talk to us about your experience when you became a mum. Mm -hmm. uh, with f f first, you you had your first boy. Yes. Uh, so, were, was anxiety something that you were suffering through before you became a mum? It started actually. It started when I got pregnant with my second child. Mm. The first one was like you know I was. Um, it happened all of a sudden. I was just newlywed, and you know I was. Um, you know, overwhelmed and everything was good. But with my second baby, I was, I got pregnant. And then during the pregnancy, I started feeling, I was, I started feeling scared that I'm not going to be alive for him, for mm. both of them. I have three boys now. But, um, and this, this thought uh, got stuck to me and just all the way. And then it kept escalating. Um, and then all of a sudden I started developing panic attacks. I was just I would just wake up 
in the middle of the night panicking, but I didn't know. I had no idea that this was a panic attack. I wish I knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started going to the hospital, to the emergency every night. I would call my mom. She, she used to live far away. And I would call her and tell her that I'm dying. Just come, take care of me and take care of my children. So uh, she would come all the way and we would go rush to the hospital. Uh, the ambulance would come. My son was like four years old and he would be like witnessing all this. So I would go to the hospital and they would tell me that I am perfectly fine. And then this would drive me crazy, but nobody explained to me that I am going through a panic attack. And then this kept on happening until I, until my um, doctor told me that she has to deliver me a bit ahead of time because my anxiety and my palpitation and my 24-7 anxious like, feelings would, was affecting the baby and my blood pressure as well. So um, she had to deliver me early and then at some point, they had to take my baby from me. I'm so sorry. Uh, yani they had to. I went to the ICU because I was panicking all the time, even after delivery. And um, nobody explained to me. Mm-hmm. Like for seven months, I would go every day to the hospital, the emergency. And then at the time, at one point, they kept telling my mom, please don't bring her back. She is completely fine. Mm-hmm. Until my gynecologist, who is like amazing, started talking to me about it and she said it's all it's this is anxiety because all the doctors before that would tell me it's all in your head I was like what's in my head I'm Mm -hmm. I'm feeling stuff my heart is like pounding and I'm pregnant I can't I can't think of anything except for me going to die and I didn't know how to control that uh, so this was about this was about eight years ago I think yes yeah yeah Yeah. Um, my son now my second my second is nine now and uh, yeah it's been eight years so um after after uh, after i delivered i went back home and um okay although my gynecologist explained this to me but um i still didn't know i i was not aware that things were gonna get worse because after that i got stuck at home i didn't want to go out uh, i was scared to go out um, I, I was just stuck in my room. I didn't. I couldn't even take care of my baby. Mm-hmm. And for like two years, I lost connection with my children and with my husband and my my friends. They started like you know. Uh, at the beginning, everybody would be with you, but at some point, they would be like, "Okay, I, we don't know what's wrong, and she's just at home." So people were like, okay, just, we will let you be. And I lost, mm. I really lost everything at some point. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This is uh, incredible. Uh, we have to come back in just a moment and, and talk about okay. that experience. I'm so glad that you shared it, Darin. Mm. And um, I think there's a lot of women who are suffering in silence. Yes after they have a baby you're expected to be happy you're expected to be there for your child always and and to 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 be the best mom ever but it's not the reality no for a lot of mums we're going to be back in just a moment here on life beats on pulse 95 pulse 95 life beats with sally musa only on pulse 95 
We've just heard from Dardine, who has uh, just bravely shared her experience with anxiety and motherhood. And I just want to thank you again, Dardine, for, um, you know, telling that story. Uh, it's so important for everybody to hear, whether you're suffering through it yourself so that you know that you're not alone. Yes. Or for people who are around mums who are going through something yes. similar to be able to recognize it. Um, uh, Dr. Saleha, I want to come to you and, and kind of ask you, how common is it to hear about symptoms like what Darin has described like this? I, I mean, panic disorder is actually common and uh, clinical anxiety is common. I would say today, 10 years ago, it wasn't so much, uh, but we, clinical anxiety and panic disorder, um, I, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I would say that it's not unheard of, especially in the UAE. And, um, and I, but I think that to go two years suffering to that level and, you know, social withdrawal, isolation, uh, seven months of going into panic and, you know, engaging and going into um, emergency rooms like that doesn't happen anymore. I hope that it's not happening. And I think if it's happening, then someone needs to really like address it with a psychiatrist. There are medications that have come out that you can speak to a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychiatrist, so I will not speak on the um, on the medication side of things. But there are women that are um, clinically suffering that actually do take medication during their pregnancies or they get a lot of support through psychotherapy while they're pregnant. And then once they deliver the baby, they go on medication. Mm -hmm. And so I'm... Because that's really tricky while you're pregnant, yeah, you know, being able to take is. medication. Yes. Yeah. And so um, so I think... Um, but, you know, medications are getting advanced. Mm -hmm. And so there might be something that people could take. But, um, but most often what I've noticed at the Lighthouse is that we have people that are really held by a psychiatrist as well as a psychologist mm -hmm. while they go through their pregnancy. And I am sure that if Darin had come and seen a psychologist and was able to name it, yeah. was able to claim it, and was able to tame it, she would have been able to not um, have these, you know, daily trips to the ER. She would have said, this is a panic disorder. These are the different things I need to do. These are the different herbs I need to take. Maybe drink chamomile oh tea, which oh calms gosh. your nerves and et cetera, et cetera. So there's so many things that you can do that are natural to calm your nerves down. Um, maybe not engage in certain things. CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy is something we really recommend for anxiety disorders and clinical um, such panic disorders. So there could have been so many things that we would have done if she had not been dismissed by doctors and elders and people around her. She's a new mother. She doesn't know if this is a normal thing for people to be experiencing. And maybe this is supposed to how you're supposed to feel. You don't know these things. And it's interesting, darling, you said this happened in your second pregnancy. Yeah. Like you, you didn't have that going through no. pregnancy the first time around. No. So, you know, it's... It, that's the funny thing. People think mm -hmm. that, you know, you've had children. That's it. Khalas. You you know how it goes and whatever. But every pregnancy is different. Every that's experience is different. Suddenly you've got two to think about. Right. You know, that on itself is, is anxiety inducing enough. Um, but, um, you know, the way that Darian was dismissed, it's something that we think might have happened 100 years ago. But there's still such huge stigma to looking at mental health 
issues that are going on, particularly for mums. And it's kind of like, so so it's two sides, you know, it's from uh, providers, care providers, but also mums are afraid to come forward because it's going to make them look like a bad mum or someone who's incompetent like they're gonna have they're gonna take my baby away Mm -hmm. if they realize how much of a struggle I'm going through is this something that Uh, you think don't remind me Mm. okay yeah the the thing is it was like uh, I was pressured for me I I don't want to speak like in general but I was pressured from so many like different um, different people and first of all medication was not uh, an option because everybody around me was like, no, if you take medication, you're going to go crazy. Yeah, you're not going to stop. You're not going to. Mm-hmm. So I was I was like, OK, OK, I'm not going to. I'm going to take it in me and I'm just going to go with it until things get better. Because nobody allowed me to go to even like a psychiatrist because they knew I would get stuck or my <laughs> people would say like you would go crazy, which is please people, if you if anybody is listening or going through this, this is not true. Mm. Medication can help. I'm like, it can change your life. It's okay. It's okay to take medicine. Maybe some people with heart diseases take medicine for the rest of their lives. But anyways, and then there is another thing that you're, you're, um, you pray and you read Quran. How can mm. you be like so oh. shallow? Yes. And you're not strong enough. I was like, this has nothing to do with me being having uh, I mean it's got nothing to do with your spirituality go, uh, at all at all this or religiousness no, or anything no, it like has that nothing to do with it you don't know yeah that's so common it's crazy yeah and um, it was like that this is what happened to me so I had to like yeah um, I had to just take it in me and be patient but it wasn't going away my anxiety was not going away it was just getting worse and I lost connection with my son with my husband with my family got tired exhausted because when I was when I used to get dismissed they would say okay Darin, maybe you need to relax or maybe you need to do think of something else I, I couldn't I I was lost I was not seeing anything in front of me I didn't see my child who is four years old um, I didn't see my baby. I couldn't take care of him. Mm. I didn't. I couldn't look at him, and I was just in my room, waiting for something to happen to me. Mm. That's all. I mean, yeah. This is. Uh, it, it's really sad for me to hear that things like this still happen. Mm. Um, you know, when I first moved from the U.S. 11 years ago, this was on my agenda that I was going to um, really change some of this way of thinking about mental health mm-hmm. that if you believe in God that you cannot have mental health issues yes, and if so you common. you know that you your faith must be weak because you have mental health issues and they're really shaming and it really really makes you just not like yourself very much and it makes you question God it makes you question yourself it just really leaves you even in a more anxious state yes. and so I mean I think if anyone is in that level of anxiety or even anywhere near it if you are thinking that this has gone on for now you know three weeks four weeks five weeks you know I think when you first have a baby we call it an adjustment period your hormones are changing your sleep is changing your new baby is acting out because he doesn't want that you know uh, your your 
uh, four-year-old is acting out because a new baby is born and their sibling rivalries thing. There's an adjustment period. There's 40 days that go by and usually it takes six weeks for everyone to sort of get this new mm -hmm. schema in order that there's a new child in the house and the sleep to adjust and the baby to adjust. However, if things are really becoming clinical, even within those six weeks where you are not sleeping at all, you cannot look at the baby, you cannot come out of your room, get help immediately. You do not wait for the six weeks or the 40 days or the adjustment because these are very important uh, days for you to attach to your child. Yes for you to uh, nurture your child, but also so you can heal and get better. Your physical body just went through an extreme trauma. And so you need your mental and physical health to recover from that and be, be ready for you know the journey of motherhood. So I don't think people should wait. And you know what? You might go see a psychologist or a psychiatrist and they would say, listen, we're going we're gonna to hold on to this. Don't get on medication just yet. Or, you know, why don't we try this and why don't we try these techniques or these breathing or this mindfulness? We might do all of these things before we consider medication, but at least you have some support. Exactly. At least you're not doing this thing alone and you're not being told again, again, to go pray or to go relax or to go sleep it off. Or that it's something else, like you've got a physical, <laughs> you know, problem and it's something else. It's just, it is extraordinary. So I, I'm glad we're talking about it today. I'm glad that we're covering it. Uh, but we're going to come back in uh, just a moment and talk about what we can do, what each of us uh, can do about this. How do you treat something like this? How do you look out for it? More to come here on Life Beats. You're listening to Pulse 95. Live Beats with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. An absolutely incredible conversation here this morning, uh, talking all things anxiety, and particularly anxiety and motherhood, uh, talking uh, Darin's uh, personal experience as well. Um, uh, Dr. Zada, how I want to come back to you and, and talk about the kind of things that can happen that, uh, that can really uh, drive this kind of anxiety that we're feeling and not not just you know anxiety in in motherhood but just the general anxiety that is just kind of almost boiling over at the moment that we're feeling yes so i think the world that we're living in is just feeling like it's moving too fast mm -hmm. um we it's it's changing so fast there's so much information at our fingertips that we can't process okay. um and and our minds are not able to process all of this and so it's almost in a state of fight or flight all the time and in one um mindfulness schools research that came out was um that we are living on in like a low level fight or flight all the time due to the pace of technology and the pace of information that we have to process. Mm. That's one thing. But then what that technology is communicating to us is that the world is unsafe. You know, we have the carbon footprint and we have animals getting extinct and we have, you know, plastics drowning the ocean and uh, we have the coronavirus now and we just have all these threats around us that we just feel very, very unsafe in the world. We have that. Then in the UAE, we are away from our tribe. We are away from our families. We are away from the things that are familiar. We're away from the things that stay the same. You know, I say that in the UAE, you have to, it's almost like the Olympics of moving because you have to be stronger, swifter, faster. Why? Because I've actually lived, you know, I went, I moved into Kuala Lumpur and I've lived in Pakistan and I've lived in other places, but 
you are the only thing that changes. Everything else stays the same. But, you know, mashallah, this country is just as young as we are. And it's growing and it's in its, you know, youth and it's exciting. And that can create a lot of anxiety in people that, you know, I just went away for two weeks. I came back and like two buildings came up and I actually didn't know that they were even being built because that's just how the pace of how things are moving. So the context of living in the UAE, which is a fast paced transient as well as developing super fast country. And then lastly, I think um, the system, the family system here is um, a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of husbands I know um, are traveling most of the week or they're working late because they they live in the middle of the world. And so they serve the West and the East. And so they're on calls and they're in meetings. Um, and so that can create a lot of pressure on the mother being the solo caregiver and the thinker and the problem solver. And so there's just a lot of pressure. So, and the kids are feeling very, very anxious these days. So you have this dynamic between mom picking up on the kids' anxiety because social media and all of these other things that the kids have to deal with these days. We don't have a model of parenting anymore. We cannot do what our mothers did because our mothers didn't live in a world like the way we live in. And so the state of the world is just it's a bit chaotic right now and we feel a bit groundless and that's the essence of what anxiety is to feel groundless that you're not anchored that you don't you, you can't like sort of dig your heels in anywhere because the second you dig your heels into something some that thing changes and i think dr salha in in in, in a world where that you just described that we, we don't really control that i, I don't con we don't control this massive pace of technology these massive shifts um and 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 listening to Darin uh, uh, speaking about how she doesn't know why this happened, it just happened. I think uh, perhaps it's important to to understand that we it's okay not to know. Yeah. It's okay not to be in control. It's okay not to have a why for the pain that we have. It's not okay just based on what you were saying, but what, what both Darin was saying, and specifically. Uh, 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 yourself, Dr. Saliha, it's not okay to suffer for so long. Yes. It's not okay to be in pain for so long. That's when we need to ask for help. Uh, but I think if we're in a position where we're anxious and we don't know, uh, and to just take a step back and say, well, it's okay not to know. Most people don't know most of what's going on around them. Let me accept that as a reality and ask for help. Yes. Uh, is that something that would be beneficial? And, and I'd really love to know, Doreen, from a male perspective, as a husband, I'd like to know if I'm in a situation in a family, uh, specifically for my wife, if she is going through anxiety, what are the things as I, as a, as a husband, that's trying to be supporting that may have two jobs in two different emirates? I might be jumping on planes for five days a week, not because I want to, but because I have to. What are the things as I, as a husband, what can I do to help? And what am I doing without knowing this, making it worse? These are things I'd like to know. First of all, we, I can just tell you that to believe your wife, to believe the symptoms. Just when she tells you she can't breathe, just say, okay, I'm with you. Mm. I believe you. Because like, I think half of the cure is believing. Because if she feels, even if you're away, but you sound like you believe her, then she will calm down immediately. I'm telling you from an experience. Mashallah. So uh, if you, 
imagine she's having anxiety and you're telling her to sit down. There's nothing. It's all in your head. It's going to make it worse. Because she's fighting something inside her. She's trying, but she cannot. Her body is is out of control. She's she's out of... She cannot control it. It's not letting her control it. So just you telling her that I believe you, I'm with you, she will immediately calm down. It's half of the cure. You're halfway there. Mm. Then go with her. Like try to go with her to the first... For example, session, book an appointment for her. She will feel so so supported. That's all she needs. Right? Yeah. Even if you're away, just a call. Tell her I booked an appointment for you with this Dr. Saliha or amazing doctor, whoever you choose. Just someone who will listen and believe her and be there. Then you're doing amazing. But ignoring the situation and just telling her that she's she needs to rest or that it's all in her head or um believing the doctor that it's and get get her dismissed without any further explanation or um um a diagnosis like you know this will make it even worse i think what i hear during saying is that don't dismiss it Mm-hmm. You know, don't when you say things like go to God and it's in your head and go to sleep and go get some rest. These are all very dismissing of the level of feeling that is being experienced in the person. Second, I hear Doreen saying is that she um, you can support a person just by being with them. I think uh, a lot of men try to problem solve something. And so they're like trying to find solutions in the moment as to like, oh, well, maybe if you sleep or maybe if you, you know, eat French fries or I don't know what Mm -hmm. you can say. Um, But when you try to problem solve, it actually really exacerbates the situation even more. And they try to simplify it. They're like, no, it just must be this or it must be that. It's not. Yes. you know, it's important to just at least, even if you don't understand it, appreciate the complexity yes. of what's going on. And mm-hmm. by just saying that I'm with you, you are saying, I hear you, I see you, and don't worry, we got this. And companioning someone and being a witness to their suffering is one of the most healing things a person can do for another. You don't have to solve the problem. You can do the problem solving later, Mm -hmm. but just to be attuned to that person and say, listen, I've got you. Don't worry. We're going to figure this out. There's like a relief and a safety that she will feel in that moment that, okay, I'm not alone in this. Because what she was feeling is I'm alone in this because no one can see it Mm -hmm. because it's all happening inside of me. And then I think the third thing is doing a little bit of problem solving, because when you are in a fight or flight mode, your prefrontal cortex, which is the area where you're planning and organizing and making appointments and doing any of that, just shuts off. Yes. That's th- your brain doesn't need that when you're in a fight or flight mode. You don't need long term thinking. You just need to get out of the jungle and run. And so you're really in a state of fight or flight. So helping her with some problem solving, like, OK, listen, you know, why don't we do this appointment and we'll go here and then we'll try that and then we'll do so some of that will actually help her feel like, okay, there's a way out of that. So I think problem solving, supporting, validating, witnessing, mm-hmm. um, and not dismissing yes. would be something that not just mm-hmm. husbands can do, but everyone can everyone. do for each yeah. other. And you can do this for your children. One of the most important things to do, by the way, in order to tame or diffuse a situation when you're seeing it in a child or another human being, is to name it. 
we say name it to tame it because there's something happening from the right brain to the left brain. And when you add language to the experience, you actually integrate, there's brain integration happening and it defuses the fight or flight system and turns on the parasympathetic system mm -hmm. and says, oh, okay, yeah. there's, a, there's a name for this thing. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's a lot of people that will come and when you give them the diagnosis, you think they would start to like crumble and fall apart, but they just give you a big hug yes. and they're like, thank you, yes. because you just named something that I've been suffering with for so long. Because yes, yes, suddenly yes. they're seen for the first time. Exactly. So name it to tame it. Incredible. Well, we need to come back in just a moment uh, and, and talk about how all of this affects our relationship with our kids and what we can do around that. More to come next. Live Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Dr. Sada, how you? Um, we're obviously having chats off air as well because it's uh, such a, an important topic for us to be talking about. But you were saying something just now about uh, the way that if, if something isn't uh, treated or, or seen or diagnosed, it is just going to get louder and, and your body is going to show you that too. Yes, I think if you ignore some symptoms, they just get louder and louder. And this is emotional symptoms as well as physical symptoms. I think if... Um, we don't pay attention to the, the whispers that life sends through physical or emotional symptoms, then those whispers soon get louder and louder and louder and louder until they literally will send a sickness to you to say, pay attention. Mm. And this is what I believe about all physical and emotional um, experiences that we have, whether it's anger, whether it's anxiety, that it's a messenger. And if you don't pay attention to the messenger, it's going to come knocking on your door and then it's going to bang on your door and then it's going to break down the door. So mm -hmm. pay attention yes. and just hear what it has to say and don't ignore the knocks because they will get louder. But also the, the whole experience of, of having anxiety, you were saying something that I, I found incredibly powerful and is really how we should be looking at the experiences that come through our lives. But it, it is there to teach us something. Yes. So the messenger is always there to evolve you. This is what I believe. And I think, you know, there's um, when we talk about making meaning out of suffering, that if we can figure out why this is happening, sometimes the and the why doesn't have to be like, why is the virus in the air? This is we can't we we don't it, it's not outside of you. The, the why is not outside of you. The why is actually what is it here to teach me and what is how am I going to get uh, more uh, resilient as a result of this. The things that Darin went through, she is a stronger person as a result of this. You know, Carl Jung said that we don't solve our problems, we grow larger than mm -hmm. them at some point. And so how am I bigger than this now? And now when something remotely close to that happens, she knows how to name it, she knows how to tame it, she's not going to blame herself or shame herself, any of that. So there were so many lessons and I could probably sit here till next Tuesday yes. and come up with all the different lessons that she learned as a, as a result of that suffering. Yes. And so if we can make meaning out of the suffering, we might actually even get addicted to the suffering. Mm. Darian, for you, what did you learn out of this? I'd love to hear a little mm. bit of that. Well, I, I became stronger, much stronger than I thought mm -hmm. I, I would be. I, I'm not attached to things anymore. I let go. I let go. I let go all the way. 
Because you're such a different person now. Like you're so, you're clearly content and happy, which yes. is a beautiful thing to see after everything that you've been through. But yeah. that's amazing. You learn to let go. I'm totally decluttered. I just really, I don't think about what's going to happen tomorrow. I live the moment. Mm. I enjoy everything that is happening and I just accept it. Mm. I, I'm accepting now everything. I'm taking things calmly. Um, I don't look ahead anymore. I plan, but I don't put expectations that would like make me get disappointed or just bring me back to point zero. Uh, I try to love my children every day and every second. I text my son now every every minute. This I is the eldest one? Him. Yes. Because, you know, this is the interesting thing. When you and I first spoke about this and we said we have to do a show on it, um, you opened up to me something that I, I thought was incredibly powerful because he's how old now? 14. 14. He's, yeah. he's 14 years old now. Yeah. This was all happening when he was super young, like, yes. you know, four, three, uh, four, yeah. three four, four years yes. old. Um, and you said to me, I think it has affected the relationship that I have with my son to this very day. You said we have a bit yeah. of a disconnect still. So has that improved? You know, has this gotten better for you? I'm trying. Yeah, I'm still trying to get close as we were. But he just he feels that I'm pressured because he saw all the anxiety and all I've what I've been through. He saw the ER visits. He saw the people from ambulance coming in. So every like through through all these years, I just felt that he was he didn't want to pressure me or he didn't want to come closer to me. So so that he doesn't bother me or something. I feel that he just didn't want to talk to me because I am upset all the time. So we got disconnected, but I'm trying now. I'm trying so hard and I'm doing the best I can. Dr. Saleh, you know, this is so important because our kids are getting affected by what we're going through. So in situations like this, what can we do to come closer to our children? Should we actually open up to them about what we're feeling is that the right way to go how should we you know keep growing that relationship while we're still going through something like this i think it would be uh you know age appropriate discussions i don't think we need to be telling a two-year-old that you're in a full-blown panic uh, but i think now that he's 14 years mm -hmm. old you could actually have a conversation about this is what you saw, this is what I was going through, and this is where I am today. Children are very resilient and attachments can change. Mm -hmm. And the way you are today, I know that those were some dark years that you went through, but man, I would even say that was a small price to pay if you're going to live the rest of your life in the way that you are today. And so I would, um, those these lessons, I, I see 50, 60, 70 year olds still living in this sort of state of expectation mm -hmm. and state of anxiety, but you've let all of that go and yeah. you've said that I'm gonna live my life and live this day to its fullest. And man, like there's a lot of people that could use some of that, I would yeah. say. And I think your son is in his formative years. 
all your children mm-hmm. are actually. And so all of that can be healed. Yes, but I think I so. opening up and saying, listen, I went through that and it was very difficult for me. I was very scared, but there's a name for that now. Uh-huh. Um, and it was anxiety and I'm no longer like that because I did this, this, this. Sometimes our kids just see what um, the interface, but they yeah. don't actually know what's happening inside. It's important to name that. I think, Darin, when you say your son is 14 years old, I, I work with a lot of teenagers. Uh-huh. A 14-year-old is a young man. Mm-hmm. This is a, a person that has uh, moved from one stage of life yes. to another. And I'm certain that your son will look at you because, not despite, because of what you went through, as a strong woman, as a strong Chanda. mother. I am certain of this because you didn't crumble. You are here on national radio, sharing your wisdom and experience with everyone, for not just for now, inshallah, for the future as well. That takes courage. And that 14-year-old son will remember and look at his mom for what she is, a strong woman. And I thank you for that. Thank you so much. Well, we really could keep going, but uh, I, I think that the final, I want to give the two of you the final word on this and to say, mm-hmm. you know, what do you want everyone to take from this discussion today, this this most important discussion, Darin? I want to tell everyone that it's okay. If you're going through it, speak up, seek help, ask everybody around you. Don't use everyone, use everyone. Ask everyone for help and it's going to get better. Please just trust your doctor. Uh, speak to a professional human being who, who will believe you um, and things will get better. It's not going to get better in one day. Things are not going to change. In a, like You're just not going to wake up and see yourself different. It's going to take time, but you will get better and you will look back and laugh at it and it's going to make you stronger. Just trust me. Please speak up. Dr. Sadeha. Oh, there's so many things to say about anxiety, but I think if I was to choose one thing, I would say that if you are going through it, that uh, there is meaning in this and there's a message in this. It's here to communicate something to you. We just have to figure out what that is. And do not do it alone. No one has to do anything alone. And if it's not your husband or your mother or your sister or your brother, then there is someone out there uh, and reach out to that person. The person who is listening or hearing this, I would recommend do not underestimate the power of being the witness and the companion on someone's journey. Do not try to solve the issue. Just be with them. And I think if you can tolerate your own anxiety when you're being with someone who's anxious, you have given them the biggest gift. Incredible. Yes. Thank you both so much. You're this welcome. has uh, been a phenomenal show and it will be podcast for anybody who wants to listen back, share. I would recommend sharing it with everyone, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, amazing. Darin, thank you so much. Dr. Saleh, thank, thank, thank you, you so much. My pleasure. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.